0: Welcome to the Dash Podcast episode number 99. Wow, that's amazing to think that there's only one more episode until we're finally at 100. When the Dash Podcast started back in February 3rd on my birthday of 2017, it was with the sole intent of adding value consistently for free. And here we are two and a half years later and continuing to add value. Um, episode 100 is gonna be a great one. We'll be featuring Ron Clark from the Ron Clark Academy. I had a chance to go visit the school for their two-day training back in May of 2019 with a school in Bishopville, the PD, Math, Science, and Technology Academy that I'm working with. with. And as always, before we get into the episode, um, this episode is brought to you by the Gamage Consulting Group. That is my consulting firm, and we help educators amplify student voice and engagement. I've heard it said and believe this myself, that the number one job of a school leader is to build capacity in your students, but also your educators. And if you're interested in having a conversation with me about how Gammage Consulting Group can work with your school, your educators, or your students, go ahead and visit TreyGammage.com shop, and you'll find some details about the services that we offer in a link to schedule a time to talk. Or you can shoot me a message on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, at Trey Now, enough of the housekeeping type stuff. As you know, life is nothing but a journey. And a pendulum. Literally, when we started this podcast, like I said, it was I was doing videos on Facebook, one-minute, two-minute videos for free. Um, I got my start in the game, as many of you guys know, working in student affairs at the South Carolina Governor's School for Science and Math. I was living with the students and working with them, too, as a residence life coordinator. And at the same time, I was chasing my dream of being a world champion of public speaking. So while I didn't quite make it to number one, I did finish in the top 100 of the 2016 world championships out of 30,000. So uh, it's definitely a blessing to Um, See the growth that's happened since that time when the podcast started. And the amazing thing is, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk, if you don't follow him, serious entrepreneur, marketer, love how real and open, honest he is. He talked about how it's more important to document what's going on in your life and in your day versus trying to create something. And that's that's exactly what the podcast is, man. It's challenging. It's meaningful. It's significant conversation about how to take the pain in your life and make it the platform for your purpose. That was the original intent of the DASH podcast, how to make the pain in your life the platform for purpose. And we uncovered that answer through a challenging, meaningful, significant conversation. And every episode, I wanted to talk to my guests about where their passion started, their desire to do what they're doing, how they turned that passion into a purpose, and then how they transform that purpose into the person that you had to become, the process, if you will. So there's been three seasons of the Dash podcast. The first season, the first 50-some episodes, 49 episodes, were literally just me going through my phone and reaching out to people that I thought would be great to have a conversation with. Um, and then we expanded from there to just reaching out on Instagram or Facebook and, and having people, different people come on. The show, season two was a little more pointed, set up for success. That's what we talked with um, Miss Matula, oh Maritalyn Fraser. She used to have a different last name. Maritalyn Fraser was an actress in the Black Panther. She was an extra there. We spoke to B. J. Godore as I mentioned, who's a fitness model on Instagram. Uh, Ash Exantis, amazing financial guru. He wrote a a book about the financial lessons inspired from jay-z's 444 album so there's been some amazing guests on the episode but as i've grown as an individual as i've grown as an educator as i've grown as a young man really and truly i became been able to be more specific about the mission that i have in my life and this dash podcast has absolutely been um a great way to document this journey for me when we first started it took me forever to edit excuse me one episode of the DASH podcast, each episode took about 10 hours to get together. Today, we can get an episode out to you in about two and a half. So that, that that is an amazing feeling to see that growth and also the direction that we're going. I mentioned a second ago that I originally was working in student affairs. I thought I was going to be a public speaker for students. And eventually, during that world championship, as I was standing up there with the champion of Mexico, the champion of Turkey, the champion of Japan and California, and Ohio, I, I realized that where my heart really was or that that speaking was great and I still do it, but I wanted to have a deeper impact. And that meant going to work more with educators. So since 2017 as well, I started the podcast in, in February of 17 and I left my job in July of 17 to start consulting and working with schools on on. Bridging these gaps in education, and since that time been able to grow, and so I needed a way to continue to grow. you know we all need coaching, we all need coaches, and that's what each episode essentially is for me. you know when there's a guest on the show, there's of course you know questions that I want to ask and topics that we want to follow, but when it comes down to it, I want to have conversations with Lorenzo Hughes. I want to have conversations with Walter Duncan. I want to have conversations with with Lloyd Knight, Dr. Latoya Valentine, Angel Malone. All of these educators... In the state of South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, Indiana, Illinois, we've got somebody from South Carolina, South Africa coming on soon. These conversations about what educators are doing and highlighting these conversations, highlighting these successes that are taking place in education is so important because for a while now, the conversation just has been about how education is failing. And I can understand that. I can definitely understand that we don't do a good enough job preparing all of our students to be successful when they leave our schools. I believe that you as an educator and me as an educator, we have a responsibility to prepare, to create opportunities for our students to grow, to lead, and to experience. And giving them anything less than that just, frankly, isn't fair. Okay? It's literally just not fair. That's our Students don't get to decide what they're born into, they don't get to decide who their parents are, and so much of our success, you and me, is, has nothing to do with us. It's because you were born to your mother, it's because you were born to your father, and because of the situation, the environment that you were born into, you had a higher rate or a higher chance to be successful. And our students, depending on the school they go to, their success rates may rise or they may decrease. I know for upward mobility, which is the ability for a person that's born into poverty, and and it goes across different um, columns or rows, however you want to say it. it, if you're born in poverty in South Carolina, you're most likely to die in poverty as well. The opportunity for you to advance in socioeconomic status, the opportunity for you to advance in your educational opportunities to advance out of the situation that you're into is essentially non-existent in this area, and that's not okay. One of the biggest agents of change that we can have for our next generation, these um, Generation Z, and I think we're even getting into the generation after them now, those babies are being born today. But th- those those kids deserve to have uh, educators, teachers, leaders that are going to inspire them and ignite them to be the best version of themselves. But let me get off my soapbox for a minute and give amazing shout-outs to the guests that I've had on the podcast. Again, the first 40 episodes was season one of The Dash where I was really just getting my feet wet. I was talking to to everybody that was in my Rolodex or everybody that wanted to come on and have a conversation about how to make pain the platform for purpose. In the second season, Set Up for Success, that's exactly what we were talking about. I wanted to know how you became a successful author, a successful actor, a successful firefighter, a successful whatever you were doing, a Japanese speed skating coach. I wanted to know how you were set up for success. And now with the Dash podcast, the Dash education, we're focusing on how to bridge gaps in education through that same uh, formula, challenging, meaningful, significant conversation. So through those 40 some episodes that we've had so far, there's been some it's been interesting to see the, the themes of the education podcast and what we're talking about as educators and what is important to us as educators. The most talked about or the most highly discussed conversation that we've had on the Dash podcast since February of 2019 is diversity, equity and inclusion. That's the first most. Number two, we've talked a lot about building relationships and restorative practices in your classrooms. And lastly, we've talked about school leadership and how that really has an impact on the two items above in relationships and diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I kind of just want to talk for a minute about what some of the things are that I learned about um, the diversity and leading the lens of each of these three topics. So on the diversity, equity, inclusion tip, it's amazing, I recognize this in college that diversity isn't a buzzword anymore, equity isn't a buzzword anymore. When I was coming up through high school 07 to 11 and college 2011 to 15, I started to recognize that, I started to recognize that there were more international students that You know, in the classrooms, when I didn't have another student that looked like me, I was able to be a part of organizations in college, like the Diversity Affairs Council. That was the largest organization on campus. There was eighty-nine diversity organizations under the Diversity Affairs Council, and that's when I began to recognize the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and also the the variety that comes with that. You know, I think. in, from an ignorant standpoint, you can think that diversity and equity is, is only about race. But it's obviously about the the gender as well, the LGBTQ community. It's also about your social and economic status. It's also about if you do you live in an urban city where there is where it's overpopulated and you're overexposed to um, sex, to drugs, to gangs, to violence, to police brutality. Or are you in a, a rural setting where You don't have any resources where where you're down the dirt road and your your school is in modulars and you you don't have enough funds coming in because you live in the corridor of shame like we have here in South Carolina, a 200 mile stretch where 88% of families are in poverty. And of course, that's how schools are funded. So depending on your location, depending on your region of the country or the world, diversity, equity, and inclusion might mean something very different from you. But to lead from from the lens of equity means that you're gonna interrupt that narrative of of why black boys aren't achieving, achieving or why students aren't achieving to allow the students to live above their privilege instead of below. See, what happens now is there's so many barriers to entry that we put in front of our students of color, quite frankly, that they don't have the opportunity to succeed at the same rate that our other students or, or non-students of color, our white students are having. You have to have a, this grade. You have to have this amount of money. You have to have this opportunity or have already taken this class to be afforded the opportunity um, to advance. You know, and and so much of life is the opportunities are are things that we create. I remember there was a time in in high school when I had an English teacher and I had just had shoulder surgery and and went to ask the English teacher a question because I was going to be gone. He got really upset at me for interrupting the class and, and was like, Trey, you just think you're all that and you couldn't wait till the end of class to answer that question and blah, 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 blah. I was like yo like i'm I'm sorry, man, like I could ask later. ended up turning into a whole big thing. I got sent out of class and sent back and tried to apologize to the teacher, but he wouldn't accept my apology, and he actually cussed at me once or twice um, yeah, I'm not gonna go any more into into that part, but I was able to be removed from my twelfth grade English class and go to an a p English class, and that a p English class did more preparation for me in one semester than I had got in being prepared the first three and a half years of my high school career. Was I qualified for the AP class? Absolutely not. But because they eliminated the barriers of entry and allowed me to go into that class, I was able to excel at a much higher rate. And when we got to college, again, I was not the most book-sparked young man. I was not a a 3.5 average student, but what I could do is the work. What I could do is sit in front of class, what I could do is ask questions, talk to the teacher, go to office hours, and get the benefit of the doubt if my work wasn't up to par. But that happened because the barriers of entry were eliminated for me, thinking about college as well. I went to Miami University, which is known as a public Ivy League type of school, Crew, U. You have to have a 29 ACT to get in. I'm going to just be all the way transparent. I had an 18 ACT score. I was not qualified to get into that school. I had an 18 ACT and a 2.8 GPA coming out of high school. Only reason I was accepted is because I played football. Yep, and I'm absolutely fine with that. The only reason I was accepted is because I played football. But the reason that I'm fine with that is because it got my foot in the door. When I got onto campus, they provided resources at the Scholastic Enhancement Program thanks to, to Doug Green, um, he, he my fir- freshman year, my first counseling, council advising session, we planned out my whole entire four years and how I could graduate a semester early and give myself the option to study abroad, to come back and play a fifth year and get a master's or just graduate um, early or on time. And, and that set me up for success. That was my setup for success. And that happened because we, broke down some of the barriers of diversity, equity, and inclusion, okay? There's an equity taxonomy that that we can talk about a a little bit, um, but also uh, the data and information that we have. Heidi Ogilvie, in her episode 86, Data Rich and Information Poor, talked about how um, students are having problems coming to school and staying engaged. There's a disconnect between what students are being exposed to and what they actually need to know to be productive citizens in what's now a global economy. And so it's more important for us to keep digging on how to prepare our teachers with the pedagogy and the empathy that they need to keep students engaged and ultimately have a goal um, to build teachers' capacity to have a social justice mindset and understand that all students deserve access to high quality education, okay? That that's episode 86. And, and what Heidi was saying essentially is that we have access to so much data. We, we can look at numbers all day, but what is that information telling you and how are you using that information in your school system or your school district? That, that's that's more important. How are you using the data and information that you have? Because if you have the data, but you're not using it appropriately, then you become data rich and information poor. If, this, if, if diversity, equity, and inclusion is still a buzzword for you, then we got to get you to step your game up at the end of the day. This equity taxonomy, I'll go back to uh, just for a moment. The bottom rung of this pyramid is just like Maslow's hierarchy of needs is physical integration from race, ability, gender, class, orientation, um, and having a full lens. After we're able to integrate, which I hope most places are, then it's about social and emotional engagement. What's your SEL curriculum looking like? How proficient are we um, as a culture? How welcoming is our climate? Where are the restorative practices at? Third is the opportunity to learn. Putting a, structural, a structured curriculum in place and um, having a, a capacity of human and social capital that's going to allow for success. Fourth is instructional excellence, and fifth is is having engaged and inspired learners. I'll include this image in the episode so you can get a visual for it, but just to think about the equity taxonomy, there's levels to it, okay? There's there's levels that come along with equity, and that's been a huge conversation on the Dash podcast, and I'm so glad it has been because it's helped me get a, a, a better understanding of the overall view of what education is like in our country, because that's not just a Southern thing, it's not just a rural thing or a Midwestern thing, that's for everybody, diversity, equity, and inclusion, that's impacting every single school right now, and I'm so glad that that's a conversation that's being had on the DASH podcast. The second uh, topic that we've had in every episode, and this is probably about my favorite, but it's, it's building relationships relationships in understanding how to implement these restorative practices in your classroom. So again, you know, quick shout outs to Lloyd Knight, um, quick shout outs to David Garday. shout out to James Knight, Philip Lampron, Brandon Morrison, Marva Tutt, Rion Gibson. We've all talked about what it means to build relationships in your classrooms. And the fact that there's only 2% of educators that are black males, but there's about 15 to 20% of black males in the United States. Representation matters. Seeing somebody succeed that looks like you makes the world a difference. I, I talk a lot about it, and you can listen to what well, is going to be coming up in episode 101 and 102 with Judge Andre Gammage, my father. The fact that... um You know, being able to wake up and see your father go to work, being able to wake up um, or have your dad wake you up on Saturday morning instead of sleeping into 12 o'clock noon or or just to see the grind that people are putting in. My father was always um, he was always helping. He was always serving on boards. He was always defending people. He was always doing something to help and to serve. Other students that I went to school with saw their parents go to jail. They had to wake up on Friday morning for a court date with their dad or their mom. They had to wake up to a a mom in jail or a dad on drugs or a a family member that's already been passed. Violence here and there. So there's absolutely a privilege to being born into a situation. And so when we're in a school, you know, I've talked to teachers before that didn't understand that they were a leader for their classroom because they didn't have the title of lead teacher, or they didn't have a special role or a special incentive, they didn't understand the fact that they were a leader in their classroom. Imagine that, you're leading 15, 20, 30 students, 60 students, 100 students, and you don't see yourself as a leader for them, then who is? Who is gonna lead that child to the next generation? Where's the empathy going to come from to understand that this child wasn't born into the same situation that you've been through? They haven't learned how to cope with the issues of their family. They don't even know that it's a problem yet. You know, I know growing up, you know, I had my dad on one side um, who was rich in wealth and, and knowledge and information and investments. And I was able to get all those things. And on my mother's side, we didn't have much of that money. We didn't have much of that opportunity. We moved every two years. We, She was abused uh, domestically. We had, we've always struggled financially. But as a child, I never knew that my situation was any different than anybody else's. Since what you grow up in becomes your normal. But as we know that it's not normal, um, it's not normal to to have to warm up your water so you can have hot water every time. It's not normal to uh, experience domestic abuse. It's not normal to, um, well, I mean, some of the things have become normalized, having single parent households, but some of the situations that our students are coming in are not um, normal situations or shouldn't be the standard of excellence that we're teaching our students to strive for. So with that being said, you know, we end up having to look at, um, we end up having to look at how we can restore Our students do restorative practices. A lot of teachers have talked about Teach Like a Champion and how Teach Like a Champion, what I've seen with it um, after going through some trainings recently, as well as that it it holds your students to an expectation. It's positive language, it's restorative language, putting confidence into our students so they feel comfortable doing what we ask them to do. Those relationships have become so crucial in everything that we do And, and we get so anxious as educators to get into the content, to get into the curriculum and teach these standards. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. That's what we're judged based off of, and we have to have those high standards. But at the same time, we have to build those relationships. When you can take the first two or three weeks and give your students a behavior priming plan the same way you do a unit priming plan, you're not gonna have the same behavior issues or the same distractions or suspensions or referrals taking place in the second, third, and fourth quarter because you slowed down in the first quarter and got the relationships right off jump. And we say it all the time, everybody says it, everybody talks about relationships. Nobody wants students in their classroom, but we also, I don't know how many schools are actually doing the work to build those relationships. And it, and it goes two ways. It's not just the teacher getting to know the students. The students need to know the teacher. Teachers have baggage, too, and you have to be willing to be vulnerable enough to open up and let your students know where you're coming from. Having a shared experience. Christopher Reese talked about this and being able to um, have a culture driven classroom or a climate driven classroom more than a content driven classroom. When you can connect your experience with your students If I'm a black educator and I have um, students that that are black as well, or if I'm a black educator and have white students, I have to figure out how I can connect with them. And if I don't connect culturally with the students that I'm teaching, I need to immerse myself in their culture until I become acquainted with it to a place where I can empathize with what that child has been brought up into. Okay, so again, a couple episodes to shout out there. Number eighty-seven with David Garday in Wake County, North Carolina. We were talking about relationships and discipline, and finally, um, I want to talk a little bit about the third piece, was school leadership. Okay, and I talk to a lot of principals, assistant principals, and district leadership on the DAS podcast and and what they've talked about specifically in episode 92 with Robert Breyer is the trickle-down effect. When you come into school as a leader and you're happy, your school is probably going to be that way too. If you come into school stressed, tired, burnt out, that's what your school is going to look like too. That's how your teachers are going to respond. That's how your students are going to respond. That's what your test scores are going to look like. Because leadership is just like life and it's just like your family. What the head does is going to fall right back down to everybody else down the line. We're only as strong as the weakest link. And I think it's easy to get caught up in the clout of having a big desk or a nice office or or just knowing that you paid your dues. You paid your dues. You worked your way up from a paraprofessional to um, a classroom teacher to a lead teacher to... um, to an assistant administrator or an administrator, now you're a principal, but the thing is we can't lose sight of that grassroots piece. We can't lose sight of the why that we got into education in the first place. That's great to call the shots from the top and make the decisions. That means everything falls on your head. That means everything falls on your head. So there's a trickle-down effect and we didn't realize or I didn't realize sometimes how school leadership is. But now that well, when you do become that school leader um, and you're excited, your staff is excited and they can pass that on to the students. But we have to do our part as school leaders to understand that our teachers need restorative practices too. Okay, we can talk about the classroom and how um, you know we need to provide restorative practices to our students, but it's all right to do it with our teachers as well. To have a community circle or a restorative circle during your next PD session, or your staff meeting and get to a place where, where you're comfortable, where you really understand um, what's going on with, with the teachers that you have in your classrooms and what they're dealing with at home. Teachers have baggage too. They have bias, there's blind spots, and we've got to be able to heal some of those hurts that a lot of times they might not even know is there. And the last topic I want to hit on, on from a school leadership standpoint is building a skilled workforce. I had a conversation with Angel Malone in episode number 78, and we talked about building that skilled workforce through career and technology education. And that used to be thought of basically, I think, as alternative school. You know, that that was where the kids that couldn't stay in class would go. But now today you may see some students that would rather do career and technology and get that hands on experience than they would go into an early college program. I think only about 25% of students that are graduating high school are really going to go to college. So what are we doing with that other 75%? The other 75% of students that are coming through our classrooms, how are they going to be prepared for success? In South Carolina, there's 60,000 unfilled jobs. How do we build a skilled workforce that's going to prepare these students to build those jobs and and take advantage of the jobs at BMW, at Google, at Boeing, at these manufacturing companies. To to be prepared, even in business and engineering, these career and technology classes can make a big difference. And the earlier we can start exploring colleges and careers as early as fifth grade, um, maybe even further back than that, exploring colleges, exploring careers, exposing our students to um, the possibilities that they may not have known about before that's what that's those are these have been the topics of conversations that we've had on the dash podcast and if you can't tell by um, my tone of voice or my conviction I'm sorry I've been getting caught up in the episode I'm, I'm kind of just rolling here um, with an opportunity to vent. these are the conversations that we're having on the dash podcast it's about challenging it's about meaningful It's about significant conversation about how to bridge these gaps in education. And before I do let you go, I just want to allow you to to give you a little more background of of how we got started a little bit in a couple episodes that you can look at uh, to get a better understanding of our journey through the Dash podcast is by listening to episode 73, Bridging Gaps in Education. That's the first episode on the Dash education, episode 73. Episode 49 is my one-year recap, okay, from 2017 um, when I was in the middle of a city council campaign. So that was a a really big reflective episode. And episode 35 is a question that changed my life. It's actually a speech that I delivered um, to Toastmasters after going to the world championship and winning the international speech contest for this state of South Carolina. So I I was able to get a real grasp of... You know how, how to add value to people and i've come to love education i've come to love this industry and this is where i spend my time at you know this is what i want to do um for a very long time and just immerse and entrench myself in the next generation I, my mission my life mission mission is to create opportunities for students well, for people to grow leading experience Um, I want to see people facilitate purpose Facilitate means to make easier Uh, Purpose means your reason for doing I want to make it easier for you to do what you love And that's why the Dash podcast exists That's why we're going to keep coming back every week That's why we're celebrating episode 99 and 100 Because we've been doing this for two and a half years And I'm so excited about continuing to spread the word with your help Um, I'm excited about the direction that we're about to change education need okay so thank you so much for listening to the dash podcast today make sure that you tune in for episode 100 with ron clark um it's a very special episode i thank you so much for everybody that's been on the podcast from episode one to 100 i thank you for everybody that's listened to the dash podcast we've had over 10,000 views since we've started the podcast and it's, it's just special it's a blessing to have this opportunity to learn from so many um gifted talents And I don't take that for granted So uh, as always This is The Dash We'll see you next time Like this episode Share it with your friends Subscribe And come visit me on TreyGamers.com Facebook LinkedIn Or Instagram We will see you next time This is The Dash